Well, uh, point number two today in our booklets, or the second sermon, is what are emotions. Last week, Dave uh, brought to us the importance of emotions. And I just want to remind you of what he said, what his thesis was, which is uh, they were an indicator of Christian maturity, a very important indicator of Christian maturity. That's why emotions are important. But what actually are they? What is this indicator? How do we think about them? How do we deal with them? What are they there for? I'm going to try and answer all those uh, questions uh, by looking at this little passage in Mark and elsewhere in the Bible. But before we do that, we're going to ask for the Holy Spirit's help uh, to understand his word rightly and for us to apply it. So let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we indeed thank you again for your word that you've preserved for us and how marvellously you revealed who you are in your word. Uh, we ask, Heavenly Father, now that we would come to understand what you would have us uh, understand and we'd apply it appropriately in our lives. Uh, we thank you that we live in a country where we can preach your word free of the fear of persecution or of any kind of trouble that may come. And we thank you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our passage today, uh, Mark chapter 4, <coughs> Uh, shows us something that might be actually quite obvious, which is uh, people have emotions. I don't want to labour that point uh, too uh, often, but I do want to highlight something about that, which is uh, emotions are actually part of our creation. That's point number one on your hand out there. They're part of creation. There might be a temptation to think that emotions are actually uh, a bad thing, something that was a result of the fall, something that's actually sinful. And if you read the opening uh, chapters of Genesis, uh, the first emotion is actually uh, one that's derived from a sinful action. And you might be tempted to think, well, just being emotional is really not that helpful. And indeed, uh, as we grow up and get older, we've all had times in our past where uh, we've had an emotion that hasn't been helpful in a situation at all. And we've learned that uh, we've got to do something with these emotions, maybe actually not even having them, is a good way to deal with the situation that we're in. But that first emotion uh, in Genesis chapter 3 uh, is actually with Adam after Eve and himself had eaten the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil and he realised that he was naked and had shame, that's an emotion, but he hid from God, he was afraid of God when God was walking in the garden. And God said to Adam, why are you afraid? He said, well, I am naked. Now notice that if you read that passage in Genesis, God actually doesn't say, well, that's a wrong emotion, don't have that emotion. No, what God does straight away is questions why he has it. Well, what's behind it? What made you think that you were naked? Who told you this? And straight away we get a belief about something that gave an emotion. Yes, emotions are part of creation and only takes another three more chapters in Genesis before you realise that God himself is an emotional God. God is not distance and doesn't have emotions. Genesis chapter 6, it says, God was grieved that he had made man. It actually says, grieved in his heart that he had made man. God is emotional and God made emotions in us. And like all things with sin, sin has corrupted that. I think, however, we could go a little bit further and say uh, emotions 
might very well be the primary facility of our beings. That might be the very key thing that God was after when he made us. And I say that because heaven's great attraction, isn't it, when we get to heaven, will not be in any intellectual stimulus that we might have there. It won't be in our physical completeness where our physical bodies will cease to decay, but it'll be in the emotional enjoyment of being in the presence of God with his people forever. Well, that's the view I think that the Bible actually pushes us to go to. Uh, But not only that, the great thinkers of our time and great people, humans, have have actually said very similar things. Helen Keller uh, wrote this, The best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart. And if you know anything about her story, uh, that speaks volumes. David Hume, the great Scottish philosopher, said this, Reason is and ought only to be the slave of passions. And Anne Frank, in her famous diary, said, Feelings can't be ignored, no matter how unjust or ungrateful they seem. Emotions are a huge, humongous part of, of who we are. We communicate with emotions, we remember things emotionally, Uh, How we relate to one another is all caged in emotions. That's why we have this thing called body language. That's all an emotional way that you present your body when you're with someone else. The really sad thing as well is when actually emotions aren't present. That's when things actually get really sad and distressing. I uh, know one uh, clergy person that's a very uh, good friend of mine who was on the brink of burnout he had been diagnosed with depression and was on heavy medication. And talking to him and his wife, the, the saddest thing and the hardest thing to watch was he actually had no emotion. He didn't feel. He just didn't feel. So his care about his wife and his job and even himself was gone and that was so sad. When emotion wasn't present, that's when things were really distressing. And it's the same in our Christian faith, particularly when emotion isn't present. Dave sent me a quote this week in his reading, and it's poignant to read it out now. This is what it says. Some followers of Jesus have mistaken Stoicism for Christian maturity. They think that the healthy Christian is unflappable. They read the newspaper, listen to their neighbours, watch television, emotionally unmoved. Their trust in God's sovereignty and their confidence in Christ's return put everything neatly in place for them. They don't get upset. They don't get angry, at least not in a righteous way. They just praise the Lord, knowing that they won't get left behind. Neither Paul nor Jesus made such mistakes. They saw idolatry and lostness around them and were moved to distress even tears. Without such anguish, we fail to reflect godliness and wholeness to a godless, fractured world. If Jesus wept and Paul groaned, we should do more than sigh or sneer. 
sobering words, isn't it, about uh, Christians and the place of emotions uh, in their life. And it leads me to ask a question now, what makes you feel? What makes myself feel? How are my emotions aligned with my faith? For some here it might be the reason why you don't have faith. I'm not going to accept that. Where that's going to take me emotionally, I don't want to go. I do not want to trust in God. I don't want to have to give up that. I don't want to have to adopt that. For some here, it's the reason you don't want to go deeper in your faith. Don't want to give up that. Don't want to have to adopt that. Don't want to look at that. What it will do to me emotionally, I'm just going to ignore. But even much more than how we feel about our faith and about God, is what God emotionally feels about us. That's, that's much more important, isn't it? What does God emotionally feel about us? We already saw that he has emotions, isn't it? God grieved that he'd made man. He was upset. So what does God think about you individually? Think about last week. What would God think emotionally of you or feel emotionally about you? What about last month, last year? What about your whole life, the times that you lied, times you gossiped, times you stole and hated, the times you betrayed and the times you rebelled? What's God's feeling towards you? What emotion does he have? It's a scary question, isn't it? But if any of you answered anything but complete love and tenderness in your mind, then we've actually missed grace. We've actually missed what God is all on about. Uh, The Bible summed up in the words of John 3.16, the whole of the Bible in that wonderful verse, the whole gospel message, which is God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God actually looks at you perfectly and with great loving tenderness like a father looks at his children. That's a great thing to rest your faith upon, isn't it? So point number one, emotions are part of creation. They're the very part of who we are. Point number two, what are they? Well, they have objects. Dave touched on this last week, didn't he, when he was talking about the good Samaritan, uh, that person, that Samaritan feeling compassion for that man that was uh, bashed up and uh, destitute on the road. Dave said there was an, an outward element there. And he used the word object as well. And I want us to say, yeah, emotions have objects. Look at verse 37 in your little booklets there in your Bibles of Mark chapter 4 as we uh, look at that in more detail. A great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. That's the object there. Now, if you can picture yourself on a boat and the waves are coming up and they're crashing in and, and filling it, then what emotion would you have as you looked at that object, that situation? Uh, For me, for starters, I wouldn't even get in that boat because the only thing worthwhile doing on boats is fishing and that's not worthwhile. So um, what would you be doing? How would you be feeling as those waves crashed in and your boat's filling up with water and you're on it, you're in it? And remember, of course, these are seasoned fishermen So this was no mere summer shower. The emotion, of course, doesn't reside in the waves, does it? 
doesn't reside in the water, resides in the people, but it's focused on that object. Thomas Aquinas wrote, if an object is a good not yet possessed, we have either hope or despair. If it is an evil which has not yet befallen one, we have fear and courage. It is impossible to remain angry whilst thinking just about anger. You must focus on the object. That's true, isn't it? If I say to you, be angry, it's not going to do much good. But if you saw a situation where there was unjust or someone had wronged someone else, then that object stirs within us a response. That might very well be anger. When Jesus walked into the temple and he saw them uh, gambling, changing money, a marketplace, that object stirred him to be angry. In our, and in our reading next week, uh, sorry, in a couple of weeks, in a fortnight, when we look at anger and sorrow, you'll see that actually Jesus was angry at the response of the Pharisees. Objects are there because of emotions. Sorry, emotions are there because of objects. Got that around the wrong way. Emotions are part of our creation and they always have an object. Uh, Councils actually make all their money by helping us understand where our emotions actually aligned with our objects and how that connection works. I'm really angry with my wife. Well, the counsellor might say, well, let's talk about that. Why are you angry? And on and on it goes. This is really helpful, isn't it, and important for us to start to understand about our emotions, particularly as Christians. Because we hear this a lot in our society. Well, that person makes me angry. No, that person can't make anyone angry. That person is the object of my anger. It's the object of my anger. God makes me angry. No, God is the object of my anger. I just can't understand why God would let, uh, you know, suffering happen. It's not a problem with suffering. It's a problem with God. God was the object there and we can't understand that disconnect. Objects are, uh, sorry, emotions are created and emotions have objects. Number three there, and I think this follows on quite logically, doesn't it? If they have objects, then emotions are decisions and judgments, particularly about the object. Look at me in your Bibles there again, verse 37, 38 and 39. The great windstorm arose, the waves were breaking into the boat, the boat was already filling But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. The disciples saw the object. They saw the waves, didn't they? They saw the water filling up. And they made their decision. They made a judgment, which is, we're in trouble. We're not going to get out of this. Here's a situation that we're not in control of at all. So they wake up, the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, whom they'd already seen doing some amazing things. Don't you care? Why are you just asleep and relaxed? It's interesting to contrast, isn't it, Jesus and the disciples at this part, their judgment and decision about the wind and the waves. You see, emotions actually don't deal with truth and fact. 
Emotions deal with assessment. Jesus has perfect assessment, which is, I'm the son of God, and I can command these winds and these waves, therefore I'm not worried. The disciples had a false assessment, or it was faulty rather, which was they didn't know that Jesus was the son of God and could tell the wind and the waves to stop. The disciples had conjured in their minds a false situation that had produced the emotion of being afraid. And the point Mark makes in this little passage is that Jesus has all the power in the world. In fact, the little parables leading up to this story here about the seed growing, the mustard seed, are all about the power that Jesus has. With that in mind, knowing that Jesus has all the power in the world, then there's no need to be afraid, is there, of the wind and the waves. Jesus is God and he's in control of that situation. And in fact, it's true for all of our lives, isn't it? Jesus is in control of all of the storms of our life. Whatever that may be, whatever situation, Jesus has the power. In fact, the greatest storm for all of us is that God was angry at our sin. God was upset, but Jesus had the power through his death on the cross to calm that storm down and our trust needs to be with him and we need not to be afraid. We're going to come to this point again a little later uh, on the back of your sermon outline there when I talk about educating the emotions. And you notice that's what Jesus does, doesn't he? Why are you afraid? Let's talk about this emotion that you have because your worldview is wrong, your belief is wrong. I'm God, I'm here, I love you. But back as we look at the, the fourth little point there about what are emotions? Well, they're mirrors of ourselves, aren't they? Mirrors don't work unless they actually reflect the truth. No one has a mirror that uh, they have in their bathroom or their bedroom that warps or distorts what you look like. Like those funny ones when you, uh, you know, might go to the carnival or something, they make you look fat or thin. Emotions are actually mirrors that reflect the truth about ourselves. They reveal the truth about ourselves. That is what we believe. Verse 31 reveals the truth about what the disciples believe. Look at it with me. Actually, we'll go back to 40. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They revealed fully there the truth about what the disciples think. The truth is, that suddenly they knew that they were standing in the presence of God and they were terrified. That emotion just absolutely explains it, doesn't it? The question is actually rhetorical. Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, their emotion of being so terrified actually gets them there. The question's superfluous. They know. Being terrified of a God that can cease you to exist with one word. 
So four key ideas, ideas there about what are emotions from the Bible. They're part, an integral part of our creation, perhaps the pinnacle. They always have objects. They're always judgments and decisions, and they actually mirror and reflect ourselves perfectly. So if you turn over there, you'll see what God actually calls us to do with our emotions. Dave uh, talked last week a little bit about the God component. And you'll see all the way through the Gospels that God actually calls us to educate our emotions. In fact, it started in Genesis chapter 3 when he said to Adam, why are you afraid? I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? And the belief system started to unravel or become clear. Our emotions must be educated all the time, particularly in a Christian manner. Verse 40, Jesus, you see here, questions the disciples and he tries again to educate them, testing their beliefs so that their emotions might be more in line with what he wants. We need to be educating ourselves through trusting in Jesus, reading the scriptures and then looking at our emotions as a response. It's funny, isn't it, all the time we might uh, find a situation that angers us or distresses us or a situation that makes us happy, and we're really quick, aren't we, to just trust that emotion rather than say, hang on, is the decision and the judgment here right? Let's go back to my world belief. I need to unpack that. Am I trusting in God here? Do I know that he loves me? Do I know that he's sovereign? We need to educate our emotions. And secondly there, we need to apply them to our ethics, which is the way we live. Why is it that we don't feel distress at the poor? Why is it that we don't feel distress at the unjust that might be going on? Why is it when things are going good we think God has blessed us, but when things are going bad we think God isn't disciplining us or helping us? What are all those things uh, that happen in our world that are ethical decisions that we just don't reflect upon, often enough emotionally? I'll leave you with one little example of how this is uh, really important. Um, I learnt in pastoring too when someone comes and tells me a really significant pain or trauma that someone's been through, to actually use the right language that says and validates that emotion in that situation. Uh, people, in when I've done that, have found it so helpful. It might be a, uh, a pregnancy that's been terminated. It might be the death of someone. But when you validate and you apply your emotions to that ethical situation, the response is always appreciated. Well, there's four key ideas there for what emotions are from the Scriptures. And next week... Uh, we'll be looking at probably the one that we get the most wrong or misunderstood, which is love. Uh, so please come in here uh, next week if you want to unpack that idea uh, about love. We're going to combine it with a baptism, so that'll work uh, really well. Uh, but if you don't know this, the Greeks actually use four different words uh, for love in the New Testament, and we're going to be unpacking some of that. But let's pray now, and we'll continue on with our service. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've created us to be emotional beings and that you yourself are emotionally engaged. 
We ask, Heavenly Father, like all things, to help us understand how sin has corrupted the way we feel. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that as we renew our minds and they're transformed through your gospel and through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to educate our emotions and apply them to how we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.